0: Thanks, Joe, and thank you to the team today for leading us so well. A special welcome to those of you who might be joining us online or watching this later today or later in the week. It's great that you continue to stay connected. I wanted to let you know this morning, you know, probably about 12 to 15 percent of the people who join us on a Sunday morning for worship, uh, they get a ride from somebody, Either from individuals in our church who agree to pick people up and bring them to services or through our ministry of our church bus, <clears throat> which runs all Sunday long. And um, I just wanted to say a thank you to those of you who drive and also to those of you who drive the bus so faithfully. Um, but if you're looking for an opportunity to enrich your Sunday morning and you have space in a back seat for two or three people, uh, we would love to help you uh, get involved in the ministry of helping people come to Sunday services. We have more people people that want to come than we have drivers for. And um, it's such an enriching opportunity because the people that you will get to know through this ministry will bless your life. And so if that's something that would interest you, uh, please let us know. We'd be happy to, to get you connected. I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your family, maybe you remember it growing up or maybe it's been recent, where you're going to have a special meal. Maybe it's a special occasion, a holiday or a birthday or an anniversary. And so you get together and everybody is home for the meal. The whole family is there. And every, you know, you've got the good table settings out. You've got the good ketchup. You've got everything. You're just kind of all there. And you just want it to go well and you want it to go smoothly. And about 18 seconds in, someone makes a comment. They just can't help themselves. They've got to always make a comment. And it sets somebody off who makes a comment in return, and then a mom or dad jumps in and stuff. And before you know it, the meal is awkward silence. You're just kind of sitting there, and all you can hear is the clinking of utensils on the plates, and everybody's thinking the same thing. This was supposed to be a nice meal. And they ruined it, or this comment ruined it. We're going to look today at a passage around a special meal that got ruined, except for Jesus is the one who does the ruining. We're in a series on the parables, and we've been looking through the parables um, over the last few weeks, and we're going to continue on through the summer. These stories that Jesus tells that open our eyes and open our hearts to the truth about the kingdom of God, where God is ruling and where God is reigning. And one of the experiences we have as we understand Jesus' parables is we realize that the kingdom that Jesus is describing... And maybe the thoughts that we had about it, there's a gap. That the kingdom that Jesus is describing is bigger and more beautiful than what we were thinking, and that there's a gap that now is created, and we have to live with this tension and step into the tension, and the passage that we're going to look at today is is no different. Before the passage, I want to look at a passage in Luke chapter 14, um, but it come, it's the third of three parables. There's two little tiny ones that come before it, and so I wanted to spend a minute to kind of give you some context so when we actually read the passage together today, it'll make a little bit more sense. So I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, if you're using the red Bible in front of you, it's on page 1621, or you can look it up electronically as well. I'm just going to read the first five or six verses, and then uh, Jesus is going to tell two perils. I'll just give you a summary of those, and then we'll jump into the, to the main one that I want us to look at today. Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy or swollen joints, we would say today edema. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Now, if you're familiar with reading the gospel stories at all, you know that whenever a passage starts with one Sabbath day, you know that things are about to get spicy because Jesus is probably going to say something or do something that creates some tension with all of the people involved. And in this passage, Jesus doesn't disappoint. Jesus has been in the morning worshiping with his Jewish friends at the synagogue, and then he gets invited to an after-church dinner. And it's a home of a prominent Pharisee, which meant that it was going to be great food, a great drink, and great time together, and that important people would be invited to this gathering. But Luke says Jesus is being watched. And he's being watched because he's been doing things that have been upsetting people. Touching lepers to make them well, keeping company with women, telling stories about Samaritans being the good guy, and even hinting that Gentiles might be equal to Jewish people. This was getting everybody's attention, and so they were watching Jesus. It's interesting that there just happened to be somebody at this prominent Pharisee's house who was ill and in bad shape. Just so happened, I mean, Jesus knows he's being set up that this man has been brought here to test Jesus in some way to see what he would do. And recognizing that he's being set up, Jesus steps right into the test, asking the question whether it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not. And you'll notice that the Pharisees, they don't say anything. So Jesus heals him. This man that's been brought in as bait for a test, Jesus heals him and sends him away. And that Jesus, not wanting to let go, asks a second question. If one of you have a child or an ox and it falls into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you get it out? To which the Pharisees are kind of stuck. If I say no and my kid's stuck in a well, then I'm a really horrible father. <laughs> if I say yes, or if I say yes, then, then if I say yes and, do, and go and get the child out, then clearly I'm breaking the Sabbath law. They were kind of stuck with this question that Jesus had asked, and so they remain silent. And again, Jesus is ratcheting up the tension in this conversation. Now, we have to appreciate that what Jesus is doing is he recognizes for these religious people, their view of the kingdom of God, what it was, what it wasn't, was so lacking. And he wanted so desperately for them to truly understand what it is that God was going to do in their day, that he decides to tell three parables. I'm just going to summarize the first two, and then we'll jump in and read the third for this teachable moment. The first parable Jesus talks about is directed at the guests at this very uh, important dinner at the house of this very prominent person. In the ancient world, when you got invited to a dinner like that, the closer you sat to the guest, or to the host, the more important, important you were deemed to be. So if you could be sitting right beside the host... You are seen to be the most important person in the room. And Jesus in his parables talks about the people that are fighting and clawing and struggling to make sure that they get the seat closest to the host so that they can be seen as the most prominent person. And Jesus talks about these people recognizing how fearful they are that if they don't get seen in the right place, if they don't seen as being accepted, that they're going to be considered on the outs. Now, the image that comes to mind when I think about this is the image of musical chairs. How many of you remember the game Musical Chairs? It's a cruel game that we played as children. Maybe they don't play it anymore. Uh, It was a game like this. You had chairs in a circle. Maybe if there's 10 people playing, you had nine chairs. And the 10 people would be on the outside of the chairs, and you would just kind of walk around. Now, when I played it as a kid, we had a ghetto blaster with cassettes in it. And you would press play on the cassette player, and the music would play. And as the music was playing, everybody would walk around, those ten people would walk around the nine chairs. And then someone would hit stop on the cassette, and everybody would rush to get a seat. Ten people for nine chairs. And someone was always left out. This is what Jesus is describing at this feast, at this banquet of this prominent Pharisee. You're dancing around believing that what you do and how hard you work and how much you fight to det- for your spot determines whether or not you'll get a seat at the banquet, that there's only a limited number, and so you better work extra hard and be extra good in order to get in. That's the first parable. The second parable, Jesus tells, is for the host. Now, in the ancient world that worked this way, if you invited me to your house for dinner, then I was culturally obliged to invite you to my house for the dinner. So let's say this guy invites 15 people to his home for lunch. He now has 15 banquets that he gets to go to later on. And the purpose of Jesus' parable is this. He says, you don't really care about inviting these people. You're just doing it so that you'll look good and so that you'll get lots of invites to other people's places. In other words, being, having these people at your table isn't the most important thing to you. It's all about you and how you get looked at and how you get recognized. And this leads us to the third parable, which we're going to read here in a few seconds. But before we do, I want to ask you this question. When it comes to Christian faith, who's in and who's out? When it comes to Christianity, who's in and who's out? Who are the true Christians? And I don't like this diagram, but just for our purposes today, I think it helps capture our thinking. Who would we say is in? The true Christians. And who are the ones who are out? The lukewarm Christians, the not very serious people of faith. If you were to answer this question, my guess, our first response is to say, it's based on how people behave. That you could probably look at a certain group of people, and you could determine by watching their life whether they're in or whether they are out. It's based on certain markers in their life. Now, we could go back through the history of the church, all the way back to the first days of the church to today. And every culture would have their own set of rules and their own list of behaviors. But we could go through and revisit in that certain time what were the markers that said you were in and what were the markers that said you were out. For example, here in North America, If you came to me today and you said, you know, we were supposed to go hiking today, but it's raining. So instead, it's Sunday, so we're going to go to the movies. And then later, a friend of mine has been making his own wine, and so we're going to drop by and uh, sample some of his wine. Most people today wouldn't think a whole, whole, whole lot about it. But 50 years ago, if you came up to your pastor and said, you know what, today I'm thinking I'm going to the movies, and then I'm going to go to my friend's house where we're going to drink wine If you look at that chart, everybody would have said, you're out. Based on the behaviors and kind of the cultural rules of that time. Now, judging our behavior and wrestling with what's appropriate for Christians and what allows us to have faithful witness is a very, very crucial, important part of every Christian's life in every generation. But you know as well as I do what can happen in our hearts so quickly we look at this chart and we say here's why i am in and here's why you are out here's the things i have done to guarantee my spot in that circle but i've been watching you and i see how you live and i can tell by the way that you live that you are out and maybe some of you have been on the receiving end of this Something happened in your life, you did something and every someone looked at you or talked to you and they said to you, you are out. Well, in Jesus' day there was rules like this too. And one of the main rules that you did not mess with, one of the main markers that decided whether you were in or whether you were out was how you behaved on the Sabbath. And Jesus has just broken the most important rule. And now the Pharisees that he's going to tell this third parable to are thinking, he's out. Let me read it for you. Um, Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 15. Luke 14, starting at verse 15. When one of those at the table heard this, or heard the two parables that I just kind of ran through, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, this is the person who, when things are tense at the meal, decides to crack a joke. Or decides to say, look at how nice it is outside today, to try to alleviate the tension. This is not a serious comment. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. But Jesus uses this statement and leverages it to tell his third parable. He says, A certain man was preparing a banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant Go out quickly into the streets and to the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, Not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, Jesus is talking about a banquet here, and for these Jewish people, the image of a banquet was the main image to describe the day when God would come and set everything right. In Isaiah chapter 25, I know it says 26 on the screen, but 25, it reads this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all the tears from their faces. He'll remove all people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, the people will say, surely this is our God. We trusted Him, and He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice in our salvation. When we hear about this great banquet it's that moment where they remembered that God was their savior. He was the one who was going to set all things right and he graciously prepares a banquet for which they can participate. So back to our ba- uh, back to our parable. The master, the host, throws this great banquet, he's prepared all the food, he's got everything ready, he's got all of his staff preparing the situation, and now all the food, is on the table and it's ready to go, and he calls out the people that he'd already invited to come, who'd already said they would be there, and the excuses come in. Now notice the language in the three excuses here, I, I, I. I, I, I. I did something, I got to do more things. I just got this, I got to go do something else. I've got this thing going on, so I can't go over here. It's all about what they are doing. The first excuse is about real estate. And again, imagine this is before MLS and uh, the internet. Someone has bought a property that they've never seen, and they need to go check it out to see what kind of neighborhood it's in. The second excuse is a plowing expert uh, who's kind of bought these cattle to do the work for him, but hasn't really checked out to see if they're any good or if they're going to be able to do the work. The final excuse is the groom who forgot that he got married when he got, accepted to the, when he got invited to dinner the day before. Oh yeah, I forgot. I just got married. I should probably be home. These are all clearly lies. They're poor excuses for why the people cannot come when the master calls them. And Jesus wants his Jewish audience to hear this. You're my people. You're the one that I've called. You're to be a light to the nations. You're to be the steward of the word of God in this generation, to call people and to invite them in. But when I call you, you don't come. When I call you, you're so busy with what you do and what you do and what you do, with all the things that you have going on, The things that make you look good, the things that make you look and appear to others as if you've got it all together, that you brush me off with your lame excuses. And remember, this is Middle Eastern culture, not North American culture, where we shoot a text and say, sorry, I can't come two minutes beforehand. In Middle Eastern culture, if you did not show up or you snubbed an invitation at the last minute, you insulted and you ashamed the host. But the host is relentless. The host wants the table full. And so he calls his servants to first go out to the cities, go out to the other Jewish people in the community, the ones who don't get to hang out with the cool kids, go out to the ones who are on the margins because of finances, because of health, because of social circumstances. They've been pushed to the margins. Who, when the game of musical chairs was played and the music stopped, didn't get a seat. For Because of their own doing or because of circumstances in their life. They're on the margins. The poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And Jesus says, bring them in. Go get them. Bring them in. Then the master comes back and says, there's still room. And so Jesus is even more forceful this time. He says, compel them to come in. To the hedges, to the highways, literally, to the overpasses and to the margins of society. Most commentators think here that Jesus is saying to the Gentiles, go to the people that you could never imagine being at the banquet table. It reminds me of Jesus' words to the church in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, you will be my faithful witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Jesus wants his table full. And there's a contrast between this host, Jesus, and the other host. The first two parables were about the insiders making sure they get the best seat, making sure they're looked after for themselves, making sure they benefit first, making sure even if it means other people can't get in, they get their spot. Oblivious to God's call on their lives to be a light to the world, using their religious community life to serve themselves and lift themselves up by ignoring other people. And so, it's the people who have none of the marks of this religious inside community that get invited in because of what they did no because of God's gracious invitation and because of what he has done and then this parable ends with a really punchy line verse 24 and I'm not going to try to lighten it for us at all but it reads this way I tell you Jesus says no one not one of these men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet Jesus is not speaking here to Gentile, godless people on the fringes of society. He's talking to the insiders of the religious communities. The you here is plural. He's talking to the religious people who've been watching Jesus, who brought in a lame person to try to set him up and to try to trick him, who invited him to this lavish affair He's talking to the people who are fighting for the seats of honor, to the people who believe that I'm more deserving than you and I should get a seat of honor and you should be on the margins, to the people who are concerned only about themselves, who set up a religious system to keep them in and to keep other people out, to people whom when Jesus called them, not once, not twice, but three times they said no to him. And Jesus says to those people there will be eternal consequences. Jesus wants the people that follow him to know that accepting God's call means saying no to other things, that the kingdom of God offers the greatest gift, but it demands exclusive loyalty and wholehearted devotion. There's no takeout option for when you're ready to come and respond to Jesus. He calls them today. And as a church There's a message here for us to wrestle with and make us maybe even uncomfortable with. That the kingdom of God is not about what we are doing, but what God is doing and our faithfulness and obedience to it. Last week, Pastor Sandy reminded us that the kingdom of God is about what God is doing. She talked about the soil, the parable of the seed that grows all by itself or the lazy farmer. In the summary statement about the kingdom of God, it's not about you and what you have done but God's invitation to you to come and respond to him in faith. The kingdom is coming to all the broken places, to weary people, to people who feel like they did not make the cut in the religious world, and to Jesus' audience who were so sure that they were going to the banquet, that they were going to get a seat of honor, and quite frankly, this banquet can't go on without me. Jesus warns them. Now, one of the things about these parables, when Jesus tells them, I jokingly said a few weeks ago, this is not Wordle, where you just kind of read it, get a quick answer and move on. Jesus wants us to sit with these parables and to wrestle with them and if there's aspects to them that make us uncomfortable or make us asking all kinds of other questions, Jesus says, good. It's kind of like a diagnostic tool for our soul that we would read these things and it would help us and wrestle with us so we do not become like the people in the passage that Jesus is speaking about. So as I close today, I'm going to just ask some questions. And it's my hope, I'll invite the team to come back up as I do this. for you to think about. It'd be easy just to say amen, nice story, and move on, but I think there's some things here that we just need to sit with and wrestle with, and maybe some of them are more appropriate for you than others. I know there's some challenging things in here for me, so let me just throw out some questions and you can just kind of reflect on them. I started by asking earlier, who's in and who's out? And if the idea that undeserving people get allowed into God's kingdom and that bothers you, then maybe there's something in our hearts that thinks what we're going to receive, we've actually earned. Does it create in you feelings of unfairness? That's not fair. Does this parable reveal that maybe in big ways or small ways in our hearts, We think I have done things and I've got more things to do and that's really the secret to me being involved and invited into the kingdom. Maybe we have a circle like we showed on the screen earlier and we spend a lot of time worrying about who is in and who is out. And of course, we're in, right? And we get a seat of honor because we've earned it, right? But what if who is in and out is not dependent on what we do but on what Christ has done and offered to us? This one's for me. At what point will my faith mature to the point where who is in and who is out is really not my concern? My job is to be the servant who makes sure as many people as possible get into the banquet. How does this parable change the way I see God, the host of the banquet? Do you have a hard time believing that there's room for more? that God is generous with His grace, that He wants His table full, that this isn't musical chairs and there's only a couple of seats, and if I don't work and prove myself, I won't get in. I love this quote. Modern Christians forget that what made the gospel offensive wasn't who it kept out, but who it let in. Broken, sinful people like you and I. Finally, Maybe today you think, I'm on the outs. There's no way I'm in that circle after what I've done, how I've behaved, what I've believed, my past, my circumstances. There's no possible way. And you're right, for none of us. None of us have any claim on getting accepted into God's kingdom. It's only because of what He has done. And the invitation that He extends to each and every one of us to come. Because the banquet is ready for those who are willing to set it beside and follow Him. Let me pray for us. Lord, today we thank You for Your grace. It doesn't make sense, it can't be calculated, it's unfair, and yet it's wonderful. And this morning as we gather here and we hear these parables and we wrestle with this generous invitation that you extend to us today, we pray that we would set our excuses aside, we'd be willing to let go of all the things that we're trying to impress others with and simply come to the table to welcome the gift that you offer us in Christ. Lord, I pray specifically today for anybody who has been told they're on the outs, feels like they are on the outs, cannot imagine how God would allow them into His family, that Your grace would fall on them and heal their hearts and open their hearts to the wonder of Your kindness to them, and we pray this in Your name.